Hello. Hello, my friend. My friends. My friend. I apologize if I do not ask you how you are this week. I'm just a little wary of telling untruths, and the untruth in that question is so palpable. At least it feels as though it is this week. I care how you are. Do not mistake. But I cannot hear how you are, not immediately. I can only hope how you are. I hope, therefore, that you are well. But I will not ask you, for I cannot tolerate the lie at the moment. I am trying not to lie. Not too deeply, anyway. This forest that you and I find ourselves in right now is real as long as we decide that it is. So that is not a lie right now. Not if you can see the bare trees and the sliver of the moon and the bats and the clouds with me. You see them, right? Good. Then it is no lie. It is cold again, even colder. I know for certain that I've never felt this before, at least not with skin this changeable. There was another storm, a stranger storm. On the night of the new moon, the moon was reborn with chaos and fury in the wind. She shouted her arrival, screamed it through the trees, shook the earth with her voice. She wants so desperately for us to stop and take heed of what she has to say. I tried to listen to her screaming. But you see, I must tell you, I fashioned a door for myself. It was so cold, so very cold, and the forest is becoming more dangerous, and I have been too brave lately. I can still be courageous and protect myself at the same time. So I made a door. A fine door from thick, fallen branches, tied together by weaving thick ropes out of my hair. My brown hair, thick and earthen and more like vines and leaves. Inhuman, really. It is falling and changing anyway growing more and more silver with every passing day. And this is all right. I am changing. I must change with the seasons, and I must grow. Here I am. I even made a little latch for my door, so that I could lock it. And I do. And I did. When the storm came, the door shook and shook with the wind and it sounded like someone trying to get in. Like someone waiting, on a balcony, to a high building. Waiting to be let in. Not waiting, trying to let themselves in. By turning the knob over and over and over, and shaking it violently. Threatening to kick the door down, despite the terrible smile on their face. What? Here is the thing. This is the thing. 
One day I thought I would do a reading with my tarot cards, not for the podcast, but for myself, because sometimes I want to ask questions that have to do not with this, but with me, whatever I am. This is not cheating. This is not against the rules. I make the rules. It is not cheating for me to use my cards for myself. Last week, I did such a reading for myself right after I told you a different story. I asked a question. I will not tell you exactly what it was because it was personal, but let's just say. I asked for a message. Guidance. I drew the King of Swords reversed. I took it into consideration and was grateful that that was not the card I chose to inspire my story this week, because I am afraid of the King of Swords reversed. Then, several days later, I sat down again. I said out loud that this reading was indeed for this podcast and my weekly story. I asked about the new moon. I asked what message I needed to share from her, what message I could share through a story to give to others here. Promise I shuffled, and thoroughly. I'll always promise that to you, and I'll never lie. Can't prove it, but hope you can believe me. I drew the King of Swords, reversed. All right. And soon after that, the wind started shaking at my door. My real door. Trying to get in. There's a reason that my deck, this deck at least, won't allow me to perform readings for myself outside of the context of this little storytelling game you and I are playing. And it's because that is a way that I've been separating my two selves. And if I keep doing that, well, I can only be half of me, can't I? I want to be whole. I must be entirely me. There is a lie between us of the forest, but it is not a lie if we see it together. There is a lie between us of who I am, but the fact is that you do not know me in any other way than what I tell you. And there is a lie of who you are, but is it a lie, or have I been, mostly, correct? These are not lies. This is our space. This is our world. Even as the door to my balcony in my little apartment shook and shook, and I adjusted my glasses, and I shook out my green hair and reassured my cat that all was well. I began to see my forest, which is always there, which is where I really live. And so I kept the door shut, now a door made of tree branches and impossibly long vine-like brown hair. And I opened the windows instead. Or perhaps I peered out from between the roots of the trees and felt the cold of the new moon 
and I smiled at her chaos. Good for her. I don't care if I am chaos with my shifting realities. I hope you don't care either, because you are welcome to meet me there. This chaos is better than lying to you, or to myself. And so here I am, fictional and non-fictional all at once. And so you are welcome. I have a story for you. There was once a prince. They were handsome, as beautiful as the sunrise on a cold morning kissed by snow. But they were also heartless, as cruel as the frost that cares not a jot for the little huddling critters under the ground. Now when they were young, it was not entirely their fault, you see, for their father, the king, was an equally cruel man. He ruled his people with little love and much punishment. He had a strong army and few allies, and delighted in fighting everyone. He cared for nothing but power and conquest. He raised his own land to the ground, burned the trees to create metal for weapons, harvested crops only for selling to other countries while his own people starved, enlisted the very old and the very young into his army. You know the marks of a tyrant, don't you? When you see it? He was one. But his child, this prince, was not always quite so cruel. For of course no one is born cruel. They were once kind and soft. They wept for the trees. They wept for their servants' hungry bellies. They wept for the little children and the old men marching off to war. And their father had laughed. And when he was done with laughter, he raged. And he was never done with rage. And so what did the prince do? One morning, when they were no longer a child and on the cusp of adulthood, they woke before the rest of the palace, and they went to a dead tree outside of the castle. A tree that had long ago been split in half by lightning, and it stopped growing. It was black with rot and gnarled with decay. The ground at its roots was sour. This was where the prince decided to hide their heart. They buried a hole in the ground, deep, deep down. All of the sorrow and the pain caused by their father's laughter and rage caused them to dig faster and deeper. That sorrow and that pain ached in their heart so acutely, and they had to remove it. They had to get rid of it. And when they could dig no more, they looked deep down into the pit. The prince reached into themselves. It did not hurt, not nearly as much as the pain and sorrow did. They pulled out the part of themselves that ached for others, and they looked at it 
how frail it was. How soft, how sweet. And now that it was outside of the prince's body, they detested it. It disgusted them. It fell from their hands. And though the prince couldn't hear their heart hit the bottom of the pit, they buried it nonetheless. It was gone. And from that day forth, the prince was every bit the heartless thing that the palace had come to expect from a ruler. They studied at their father's side, and though still no love was shared between them, they each had what they wanted from one another, finally. Between two warmongers there can be a strange kind of peace, after all. One day the king died, as all kings do and must and will, just as all paupers do and must and will, and the prince would replace him. The land feared this heartless prince, for, unlike their father, the prince never laughed. Not out of joy, not out of hatred, never. The prince never smiled. Not from victory, not from pleasure, never. Cold, cold, and beautiful, and terrible. Even the king had feared that mirthless beauty as he lay dying. For you see, war and punishment and selfish taxation, and all these terrible things kings can cause are despicable when they are in service of a ruler's wants and desires. But when it is in service of nothing, just wanton misery for its own sake, it is terrifying. The prince had experienced terrible, wanton misery from their father. This is true. But that was nothing compared to the terrible, wanton misery they had done unto themselves by hiding away their true self, their gentle heart. And everything after that day was just empty. And they would make everyone else feel that emptiness too. Because what good were gentle hearts in this terrible world? The day of the coronation grew closer and closer. Days away. And the sky seemed to know as it grew dark and storms came to the kingdom. Terrible storms. Worse than the one I experienced the other day. Rain fell in great masses from the sky. Hail pounded down viciously against rooftops. The wind ripped trees from the ground. And the prince watched without any feeling whatsoever. They were safe in the palace. Not that they even cared. And what did they care about the safety of the people below, anyway? One tree remained standing and firm, however. The dead tree. The prince could see it from their window. Every day they glanced at it and successfully forgot what was buried there. Today, however, this day with the dangerous storm, there was something unusual 
standing by the tree in the middle of the winds and the rain and the hail, was a figure. The prince, nay, the would-be king, couldn't make any details of the person. They just watched, unable to look away. Shouldn't they be terribly cold? Shouldn't they seek cover? Shouldn't they cower under the force of the storm? No, they didn't. They just stood there, looking up at the prince's chambers. The storm continued for days. In fact, the closer the coronation came, the worse the tempest grew. It brings me no joy to say that people died, that animals suffered, that trees and flowers were destroyed. Sometimes, storms can do that. And surely, when the storm finally would pass, it would take a concerned and caring ruler to bring the land and her people back to life, to care for her, and to love her. That was not this prince. But any time by day that the prince glimpsed the storm from their chamber window, they saw that figure waiting and watching them back in return. A little closer each day, perhaps. Evenings weren't quite so bad, because they were far too dark for the prince to be able to see any figures. And so, out of sight and out of mind it was. Preparing for bed the evening before the coronation, the prince looked outside of their window, the storm of course not showing any signs of slowing, and they didn't see anyone outside. How could they, in the darkness? But when they saw, even closer, looking up at the window from down below, two yellow pinpricks of light, the prince gasped out loud. No, you don't feel fear, they told themselves. You should have buried fear in that pit along with everything else. They went to sleep. In the middle of the night, however, in a state of half-dream, half-wake, the prince felt a terrible, pressing weight against their chest. They opened their eyes and found they could not move could not reach their arm to grab a candle or a sword. Though that crushing weight was keeping them down, there seemed to be nothing there. It was a trick of the mind, the body, or both. Nothing more. Until the prince managed to lift up their head just a little, and glance at the foot of the royal bed that was once their father's. And they saw waiting there, watching calmly, two glowing yellow eyes. Though the room was almost pitch black and the prince could see very little else, those eyes illuminated a grin, wide and full of mirth. Morning came, and any fear the prince had experienced the night before was gone. 
along with the figure by the tree. It was coronation day, and the grand hall where the ceremony would take place was almost empty. A few heads of state made it, and the bishop was there, but they were there more out of fear for their positions and even perhaps their lives than they were for love of their new king, if this one was anywhere near as ruthless as the last. They would need to make their allegiance clear and passionate from the first day of their rule. With shaking hands clasped in front of them, the crowd waited for the new king to arrive. And the new king was waiting in a small chamber near the altar, waiting in their finest regalia for the ceremony to begin when they would finally enter. Just as the processional music began to play, the prince parted the curtain just slightly, prepared to enter the great hall. But the music stopped abruptly, and the few attendees gasped all together at once. Welcome, my friends. The prince heard a voice speak from the altar, raspy and deep and strangely joyful. Thank you for coming today. The prince entered now, the rage of their father filling their entire being at the strange interruption. But what they saw standing next to the bishop was, well, it was an impossibility. It was them. It was the prince. But not quite. They wore nothing but their body was covered in dirt and mud. Things that looked like the roots of a tree climbed up their legs and feet and arms. Their nails were frightfully long and dirty, and blood and mud fell from their fingertips as they stood. Clearly they had been digging. Though their body was all dirt and mud and blood, their face was clean, absolutely beautiful, and absolutely identical to that of the prince, except for the smile and the eyes. The smile was full of mirth, and the eyes, in place of pupils, had two pinpricks of glowing yellow light. <laughs> what a mess I've made of this place, the voice said and laughed heartily. The prince of dirt and mud took the crown, mud and blood smearing across its beautiful gold, jewels, and white fur, and placed it carelessly on their head, the angle wrong and messy. They could not get it to settle properly on their head, for you see they had their own crown of roots and rotted wood, twined in their long and twisting hair. They went to the throne and flopped down on it, kicking their filthy feet and legs up, 
and crossing them in a cavalier way that was confident and graceful all at once. The prince, the cruel one, entered finally and faced their twin. No, not twin. It was their true self. Their heart. The one that had been buried at the dead tree. Ah, there you are, the true prince said, not acknowledging the shaking or cowering of the bishop, nor the cries and whimpers of those in attendance. Chaos, utter chaos, that they wanted no part of, was before them, and they knew not what to do. Give me my crown, the empty prince said. The grinning prince smiled even more widely. No. They looked at each other long. And finally, the heartless prince nearly doubled over with the rage boiling in their gut as they screamed at the one on the throne three words. I buried you. The three words echoed throughout the cathedral hall. It echoed so loud that all the people watching fell to the ground and cuffed their hands over their ears. They wept and screamed in pain. The prince on the throne, at seeing their people's pain, stood now and seemed suddenly very, very tall and very, very strong much more tall and strong than the heartless one had ever seemed. They looked down on the hunched and screaming heartless one. Their smile fell just a little, and their eyes, their glowing yellow light still poking through those pinpricked pupils, burned. I buried you, the heartless prince repeated now small and weeping. The prince of blood and earth, love and mirth. The true prince, who had been buried in a hole by a dead tree years and years ago, stood firm and answered in only two words. I grew. The two watched each other for some time. The heartless prince, facing their true self that had been lost and hidden and banished, but to no success. The truth will out. Your true self will out. This could not be. They drew their sword from their side, the cruel prince. With an animal roar that almost sounded like a baby crying, they rushed at their mocking doppelganger. The sword made contact. It went right into the true prince, who still smiled. And they wrapped their arms around their cruel counterpart, blood and mud now smearing the other one's red velvet robes. Your time is done, they whispered almost lovingly, 
and there was no pain in the true prince's voice. You have served your purpose. You can go now. The heartless prince screamed and ranted and raved as their sword seemed to disappear into the true prince, along with their hand, then their arm, then their body, their legs, their head. The heartless prince reached back into themselves, where they would stay forever, and only one remained. The true prince. The true prince whose fear and pain had hidden away all those years ago. Buried. No longer. The prince laughed heartily. <laughs> the storm stopped. The sun came out. The true prince knew that the pain the heartless one had caused would never be able to really disappear or be forgotten. But perhaps truth and joy could grow anyway, despite all that had gone wrong. The people in the hall suddenly, for the first time in decades, had hope that it could. As they looked at the elemental creature before them. Human but also spirit, and also earth, their king. They bowed, and with a flourish and a grin, the king bowed back to them, hand over heart, which was now whole. Gentleness, love, joy, mirth, pain, fear, cruelty, and all. I cannot hide the different sides of myself, either. I cannot hide the one who types away in her apartment, fearful of unlocked doors. And I cannot hide the one who lives in a tree in an enchanted forest, telling stories to those who enter as guests. Which one is more true? What is true in you, my dear friend? Make sure the true you sits on your throne. That is what I will strive for this new moon. Good night, my friend. Sleep well. Everybody, I didn't say it earlier, but how are you? I'm going to cut you off right there and just repeat that I hope you're doing well. I hope you're being gentle with yourselves. However chaotic everything gets, I hope you're able to find a moment and put it outside of you, where it belongs. That chaos. Breathe. Relax a little. Remember your forest too, my friends and borrow mine if you need to. 
Welcome to episode 120 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, the writer, the host, the podcaster, the composer, the team of one behind the show. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. Let me take a moment to talk to you about Manscaped. Support for On a Dark Cold Night is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And if you're up here in Canada like me, you're in luck, because Manscaped just launched in Canada, and you lovely listeners can be some of the first Canadians to experience these fantastic, life-changing products. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer and perfected it in creating their new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. If you understand the fear of using sharp objects or hot wax, or, you know, generally frightening grooming practices in areas that are perhaps a little more sensitive than others, then listen up because you want to hear about this Lawn Mower 3.0. This third-generation trimmer is a premium device that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It has a battery that will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take your time as you shave. Don't let your devices dictate how long you do stuff for. On that note, the Lawn Mower 3.0 is waterproof, so you can also bring it with you to the shower, which is a very nice feature if, like me, you like just hanging out in there. It comes with an LED light, so you can be even more precise and safe and actually see what you're doing. The Lawnmower 3.0 also has an upgraded 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology and a beautiful, sleek, USB-powered charging stand, which looks really high-tech and gorgeous and cool. It's just a very cool, beautiful, and versatile product. If you want to try this out for yourself, or give it to someone in your life, or hey, both, then try it yourself for 20% off plus free shipping by using the code GOODNIGHT, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code GOODNIGHT. Give you our loved ones' nether regions a lovely gift this holiday season. Next up, sending some thank yous. I would like to first thank Teresa R., who is my latest patron of the show through Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Teresa. I'm so grateful for it. If you'd like to help out through Patreon like Teresa, you can receive the perk of my ever-updated and updating soundtrack of the show for your listening pleasure. Plus, if and when episodes are ready to go out before public release, you can be the first to listen to them. You can find out more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And if you'd like to instead help out with a one-time donation and aren't interested in those perks, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees through coffee.com at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And as always, we have On a Dark Cold Night t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would like to say thank you to everyone who's left a positive review or Facebook recommendation for the show. If you'd like to help out by doing that, which is a great way to support for free, you can leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or my Facebook page. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at darkcoldnightpodcast, Twitter at adarkcoldnight, and I have Facebook and YouTube pages just called On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you very much for weathering the storm with me this week, my friends. Breathe in. It's not inside you unless you want it to be. Breathe out. Keep breathing. Sleep well. Talk later, my dears. 
good night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.